If you haven't figured out yet, uh, this morning I'm preaching, so uh, I don't normally do this here at Story Church, but I'm excited to be here and do that. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of the word, we'll be in Psalm 86. Psalm 86, we've been going through a, a summer in the Psalms, hitting different ones along the way. And we will uh, this morning dive in uh, to that. And we stand for the reading of the word because we believe that God's word is perfect. We believe it's true. We believe that it not only um, changes our life when we come to know Christ, but continues to grow us to know more about God. So we're going to read this whole chapter. It's 17 verses. Um, Read with me, and then you guys can uh, have a seat afterwards. This is a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor is there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come to worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, that I may give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me, and bands of ruthless men seek my life. And they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me uh, see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You can have a seat. Uh, Let me pray for us this morning as we jump into God's word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for today. I thank you for um, the truth of your word and how it grows and changes us um, all the days, regular, regularly. Um, God, I pray today as we, as we look at, at this psalm, God, that we see how you find us and you reach us in all moments of life. Um, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, my name is Andrew, and I'm the family minister here. So if you're new and you, and you don't know me, um, I oversee youth and kids and those kind of things. I'm married to Caroline. I have two kids, Oakley and Ellie, who are four and six, and a lot of fun um, and a lot of chaos. Um, so we've been talking over the past month, and we'll continue to talk in the next few weeks about Psalms. And we're taking this idea of how a Psalm or this Psalm uh, changed my life or how it impacted uh, my life. So a little bit about my, my background. When I think of this Psalm, um, I think of how it has reached me in difficult times um, and how it has encouraged me and uplifted me to know Christ more. So I, I grew up in a Christian home. I don't know about you all, all of you all. And I grew up in a Christian family, but that did not mean that my life was like void of any type of difficulty or problems or suffering. Because if you're not from Christianity, all of us have a hard time too. Uh, we have difficulty as well. So I've experienced things like broken families, unexpected death, um, different things like that. My life's had plenty of up and downs. Um, some of those are self-inflicted, a bar of my own. Some of them are other people who have done things that I was a kid or was even a teenager or an adult and didn't have as much to do with, but their decisions uh, affected me. And they affected me in difficult ways. Um, and sometimes when I think about life that I've lived and you think about maybe life that you've lived and pains that have come, 
Um, I think that we can be honest and we can say that it can be difficult for me. It's difficult for me sometimes and overwhelming to think about how big and how great God is and that he would care about someone as simple and as average and as regular as me. I joke with Caroline all the time that I am just like the epitome of the average. Like I wear the average shoe size, the average everything. And like, I'm just, I was never great at any sports, but I could do whatever I wanted to at the same time. Like I was never the star. I'm just the regular guy. So I think about, there's, a, there's another uh, a Psalm, Psalm 8, that says, who is man that God is mindful of him? And when I think about that in my life, I think all the things that I have been through and dealt with in my, in my short life so far, how does the God, the creator of the universe, um, deal with me? How does he love me? So this, this, let, me, let me tell you this quick story I think will set up this Psalm for us. So a few years ago, um, I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who began, he was a Christian, uh, and still is a Christian, he began to come, become very kind of like jaded and uh, negative towards a lot of things in life. His opinion and his position of like positivity from a Christian perspective of trusting the Lord began to switch to like this weird kind of judgmental, like I can't trust anything or anyone or always assuming the worst of people. You've, I've been there, you've probably been there. Um, and, he, and he was pressed on that reason one time. And why are you, why do you think this way? Why do you talk this way? You haven't always talked this way. And he said, well, I used to think that everything would be just fine and that life would be fine. But then life chewed me up and spit me out and I don't think that way anymore. Um, as we look at this Psalm um, and as I think about that kind of, idea that my friend threw out uh, several years ago, I remember hearing him say that and thinking to myself, I don't know exactly how he got there. I know some of the things he went through and, um, and I could see how he could have gotten there, but I just don't see how he got there. When that happens to me, when life really as an adult uh, begins to spit me up, chew me out, because it'll happen. Uh, it's happened to many of us and it's happened since then to me. Um, how will I respond? I don't want to respond that way, but I didn't think he would have responded that way. How will I uh, respond. So this Psalm, Psalm 86, if you're not familiar with the Bible, David wrote a lot of Psalms. And this is one he wrote that doesn't specifically interact with a certain time in his life, but actually uh, looks at a broad experience of his life. And it's kind of him looking back at the greatness of God in the difficult times that he's dealt with. Um, this Psalm uh, met me at a time in my life uh, where we went through some difficulties and we would kind of, we would pray through the Psalms. We would like open up based on the day of the week and we would pray through some Psalms. And this one would pop up in similar ones as well as a thankfulness for God in difficult times and for his love. And I, I wanna tell you some things that, that David dealt with in his life and then we'll jump into this uh, specific Psalm. So this Psalm, if you're unfamiliar with David, here's some things that David dealt with. He was, first off, he had a lot of suffering that I think that we can relate with with, with each other um, today. Uh, he was seen as insignificant and unimportant in his own family. He was not the first choice. He became king of Israel, but he was the very last choice and, and not even a choice. He was like forgotten about. They didn't have any desire for him. So has it ever been you? Uh, maybe you can relate to that. He had his own sin. He uh, had some terrible decisions in his own life that he inflicted a lot of pain in his own life. Lost, lost children because of his decisions, um, dealt with death in his family, his own personal shame. He dealt with a family of a, of a firstborn. He was betrayed by one of his other sons later on in life, who was a king, uh, betrayed him and tricked him uh, in a way he never could have expected. He was wrongly accused by King Saul and pursued and pushed out into the wilderness. There's some Psalms specifically about that. So if you've ever been overlooked, 
If you've ever felt insignificant, if you've ever messed up your own life because of decisions that you've made, if other people have ever wrongfully attacked you uh, and you've experienced any type of life suffering that comes from those types of situations, what we're gonna look at today is going to really, um, I think, help us and grow us to know Christ more. So here's kind of our big idea or our main point today. And it's this, and I think it's gonna be on the screen. And it's that God and God alone can provide what we truly need in times of suffering that God and God alone can provide what we truly need in times of suffering. So, so this psalm uh, is broken up into kind of three sections. Uh, it's going to be verses 1 through 7, 8 through 13, and 14 through 17. So we're going to look at each three of these kind of sections and kind of uh, there are three different prayers as part of a larger prayer. So I don't know what your prayer life is like. Mine, uh, sometimes it's early in the morning or it's late at night. It's usually when it happens. And if it's early in the morning, I'll go run and I'll come back and maybe I'll pray and I'll just be praying for my day. And then my kid will come down and I'll get totally distracted about what I was praying about. And I'll pray about something else later, or maybe in the middle of the day. So David is kind of just praying through different types of prayers um, that he's going through. And I think that we're going to see those things. So the first thing that we're going to see um, is that God and God alone can provide what we need in times of suffering. But the biggest way that happens is through salvation. So I'm going to read back through these verses as we go. I don't think you can ever read the Bible too much. And, uh, and we're going to look at this. So verses one through seven is all about a prayer of salvation in a time of suffering. So he says this, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life for I am godly Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. To you I call upon. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and listen for my plea. For in the light of trouble, I call upon you and you answer me. So David kind of makes six different requests in these first seven verses. He lists six things that he needs from God. Uh, verse one, he says he's poor and needy. Verse two, he asks for God to preserve his life. Uh, he also says, save me, your servant, kind of another way of saying the same thing. Uh, in verse three, he says, be gracious to me uh, because I am your child, because I, I need you and I am your child. And in verse four, he says to gladden my soul. And in verse uh, six, he says, give an ear or listen to me. So each one of these things relates to a need that David had at some point in his life based off of his life experience, based off the difficult things that happened to him, the problems that he caused in his own life. And he says, God, these are things that I have needed of you. But they really start first and foremost with verse one, where he says, I am poor and needy. This is the fundamental need that David presents to uh, the people who would read this Psalm. The prayer that he, that he writes is that God, I need you and I am poor and and I need you. All the others are summed up by this need and the statements later that David will make. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we are very weak and we can be really poor and needy. We don't like to always admit that. I like to think that I can either do it on my own, find the answer on my own, or there may be someone that could kind of help me, but once they kind of show me the ropes, I'm good to go and I don't actually need anyone else. I think this is a problem that all of us can deal with. We like to be autonomous, like to do our own thing in our own way. Uh, David hits at that that there is uh, not just um, greater things that we need, but that we are needy to know Christ. So if we're honest, those are things that we all experience and deal with. Uh, we are poor and needy, but God says, and David says that he uh, needs him to be gracious to him in verse three. Um, the question is, what is our posture before the Lord if we recognize our sin and our darkness in the depth of who we are? 
In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells this story that I think is really helpful for us. He's talking to people and he says this. He told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The tax collector standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his, his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble himself will be exalted. These two people in this story come from very different places uh, and very different ideas. One uh, would identify himself with religion, with Christianity, with, with the, the temple at that time. And the other, a tax collector, if you're not familiar with the Bible, tax collectors were the worst of the worst. Uh, and I don't know any tax collectors today, uh, but I don't know if that's still true or not. Uh, but tax collectors would have been considered the worst of the worst. And the reason why is they would have gone door to door instead of us filling out some form every year and then waiting for a refund or paying in or whatever you have to do every year. Uh, they would have gone door to door and they would have said, you owe the government $10. Uh, well, the reality was you actually owed the government $5 and they were gonna take $5 for themselves. And you had no way to know. And if you did know, you really probably shouldn't push and ask questions because that could turn out bad for you. So Jesus is saying that this person, who's the worst of the worst, who takes advantage of everyone, uh, who's needy and poor, but he recognizes that he uh, needs God and he's merciful, goes justified to know Christ instead of someone who says, I'm glad I'm not like those other people. As David said, I am poor and needy. We need to recognize in ourselves that we are poor and needy. Um, I can often think of myself as being better than others. Many of us can think that way. And I can look at other people and I can maybe pick out a problem that they have or an issue that they've done or whatever it may be. And I can forget my own need for grace and my own need for Christ. Uh, this Psalm directs us to know Jesus and salvation uh, in that way. If we keep going down uh, throughout this psalm, you'll find uh, in these first few verses that it comes out really kind of swinging at us with the truth of the gospel. Uh, we know the Bible, and if you've read the Bible, what you understand is that God hears the needs of those of his people and of his children. He hears their cries, their calls, and he answers them, and he's gracious. And that's true for us today. From the very beginning, uh, we have been needy of Christ, and God is our Savior uh, if you follow Jesus, here's what I would encourage you to do in this moment, to think of your own story. Think about how Christ met you, and Ken did so well last week talking about that as well, how Christ met you and how he brought you to know him. For me, that was when I was six years old. I was a kid, grew up in a Christian home, like I said, and I kind of grew up in the church all the time. Uh, but I've known plenty of people and uh, have seen in my own life how Christ has continued to grow me to know him, who was maybe later in life. So think about that time. I think it's a good exercise to remember our need for Christ and our need for that. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and it may be a good idea to think about how much you could need a savior and how Christ could help you into that. I think we often can regularly fall into this idea that we don't actually need to be saved. Um, while my family wasn't perfect growing up, I had everything that I needed. I had a place to live. I had food to eat. I had clothes to wear. I had vacations to go on. I had friends. I had sports to play. I had a lot of things that would have made me think I did not need much at all. And so for us, we can quickly um, 
go into this world where we realize or we begin to think that we don't actually need saving. And nothing is farther from the truth. And David knows that in this verse. There is a great need and a depth of a need um, that we have in Christ and Christ can provide for. So in verse five, he says this. He says that God is good and forgiving and abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon him. What David begins to do is he not only talks about his own needs, but he also points to the greatness of who God is and what he has done. So he says he's, he is a uh, good God. He's a forgiving God. He's abounding or never ending in steadfast love to all who call upon him. Good, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He is a sin pardoning God. Not only can he forgive, but he is ready to forgive and more ready to forgive than we are to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I am rarely, rarely ready to forgive. If I come up with conflict in my own life, even with my kids, I'm sometimes just rarely, rarely ready to forgive. But God is very, very different than us in that way. Uh, so think about this. If you, if you think about a sin that you have an issue with, or you think about your overall nature of like needing Christ, um, I think I am very hesitant sometimes to verbalize and to repent verbally for those things. It's difficult to do. It admits you're wrong. It admits you have a fault. And, and our, I think my fear is uh, a lot of times that I'll get a weird reaction from God, that God will be like, ah, I knew, I knew that you were dealing with that. I'm th- I've been waiting and I've just been wanting so I can tell you about all these other terrible things. That's not true. God is gracious, he's forgiving, he's abounding in steadfast love for all who call upon him. So maybe today that's just the simple step you need to make is just to call upon God because he is ready to God. The second uh, God hears you, he is ready to forgive you. He's been waiting graciously for you. And in verse six, uh, David prays for God to be gracious to him. He says, I've uh, listened to my plea for grace. So he was poor and needy. He asked for his life to be preserved, to be saved, to be gracious, to gladden his soul. And he looks back in this prayer and he sees that God is the one who has sustained him. And then in verse seven, he says, I call upon you and you answer me. And we see a big truth and important thing about God, that God is faithful in our times of trouble, both our self-inflicted problems and the consequences of other people's sins. This is the truth about God is he answers when we call. He is not slow to answer us, but he is quick to come to our rescue and come to our help. So if you've dealt with suffering, if you've dealt with pain, David tells us, I call to you and you have answered me and you have come towards me. Not only does God show that he hears us, but he backs it up with his actions about caring for us. So even as we look out in the world around us, if you, if you drive down the street, if you go on a trip, if you spend time just in town on any sort of day, you begin to see the brokenness that exists around you. Um, from families that are broken to people that are needy on the streets to, to kids in school to whatever it may be, you can find lots of needs, physical needs that are around you. And God's uh, record over and over again is that he cares for those who are in need, not just spiritually, but physically. But he meets us most importantly with our spiritual need. He cares about that because we are poor and needy. In verse seven, we see God's character on display. We see that God is good. We see that he's forgiving and we see that he answers. So our greatest need in our times of suffering that only God can fulfill is a prayer of salvation. We need God to save us. But that leads to something, and that's our second thing we'll see in verses eight through 13, is a prayer of praise. 
When we have come to know Christ, or when we've been saved out of a moment we've known Christ, we've needed help in times of suffering, what it immediately changes towards is a time of praise. So here is what David says in verses eight through 13. He says, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me, I'm sorry, you alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, and with my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered me from the souls of the depths of Sheol. Immediately out of this prayer of salvation, it goes to a time of praise. And here's the things that David praises about God. These are the things that are true about our God who has saved us. First, and almost most importantly, is he is greater than all other lowercase g gods or false fake gods. At this time for David, he would have spent his life surrounded by other countries, dealing with battle with other countries who worshiped three kind of main gods. And each one of these gods would have represented a lot of darkness, um, a lot of bitterness, vengefulness, uh, trickery, and sexual depravity. But the one true God was different. So David, all throughout his life, dealt with things that would come immediately against what he knew to be true of God. And he praises God's name by saying, you are the only God and no one does anything like you do. Um, I think about our kings and our rulers and the other gods, lowercase g gods of today's world. They can be very vengeful. They can be very bitter. They can be tricking to where we can think that we're going in the right direction by following uh, the ways and the things that exist in our world today. There's a lot of sexual depravity and issues in our world today that exist. But none of those things, no matter how powerful or how all-encompassing or how uh, pulling they may feel to our hearts and to our minds or to the minds of our families or whatever it may be, are as great as our God. Our God is different. He is above all and he is greater than all. So in times of difficulty and in times of suffering, God and God alone with how great he is can change um, and is, is to be worshiped because of how great that he is. I think about right now in my own world and in my own uh, life with my family, with my kids, um, we will wake up and, and Oakley has figured out how to just like use the TV, which is like a very sick, very terrifying thing. And so most of the time we're not too worried about it. Like he'll, go, he'll come downstairs and it's summertime, Caroline's a teacher. So our summers are like, ah. Uh, during the school year, we go, 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 and we like take a breather. So we sometimes are awakened in the morning to Oakley, who was woken up like at 5.30 for no good reason, and we'll just hear like a theme song. We're like, oh no, he's up. This is not good. We gotta go down there. Uh, but I've started to, as he's figured out how to use a TV, and he has some shows he likes that we're not worried about, um, but he starts to go, oh, I'm interested in watching that. I'm, I'm curious about this. And they're all seemingly innocent things. I begin to worry and go, man, can I, can I trust what he's doing? I need to be aware of what he is and I can, uh, what, what he's watching. And I can feel like even with my kids, there's this kind of tangible squeeze that's starting to happen to Christianity uh, in, our, in our world today, where they're beginning to pull this part or pull that part or test us here or see what's going there. And, I, and, I, and sometimes as a parent, I can be kind of like fearful. Can I trust what's going on? How much do I have to be super hyper aware? How much can I allow freedom and growth? Or when do I start to do that? Um, and I can get really terrified sometimes in my mind and in my heart of the lowercase g gods, even though I know our God is great. And what do I do with that? A second Corinthians four, eight through 10 tells us that we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven down to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. 
And it says that always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus. So there's life in Jesus. That life can also be manifested in our own bodies. So at times, whenever I begin to be fearful of what's around us, I know that I can praise God because the greatness of who he is, because he proved it on the cross and he proved it through his death and through his resurrection. That when I feel crushed, when I still feel pushed, when I feel squeezed and I'm not totally sure always what to do, I do have a place that I can look, a place that I can praise and that's God and that's his great works that he has done for us. That's what David declares is that the greatness of your works, there are none like him. I look at the creation around us. Uh, we went this past weekend up to Big Bear and um, we haven't been there too many times, but just, as you know, totally different than down here. Just the trees are massive and the air is cooler and, uh, and, the, and there's just more space and it's more open and you just look at these mountains and, and we were driving back uh, yesterday evening with our kids and we were like, this is so beautiful, look at this. They didn't find it as great as we did four and six years old. But to see this greatness and this magnitude of what God has done just in his creation. And then I look at the people that God made, the people in this room, the, the family that I know, other Christians that I know, people I know who don't know Christ but are still made in his image, the greatness that God made through his people. These are his great works that he has made for us. As we keep going on in this section, uh, we'll see that the praise um, of God from David is not just about the greatness of his works and who he is, but in verse 11, it has to do with what he says to do. And what he teaches. He says in verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to your name. When I think about times of difficulty and times of suffering, uh, sometimes it can be really like, a, uh, what's the word I would use? Is discombobulating, where it like throws you out and you're like totally lost because you thought you could trust something and then it would totally change. And so for me, in my own walk with Christ, the question becomes how do I, in those difficult times that have come, will come, how do I like stay true to who Jesus is? How do I still praise him, worship him, be thankful for him in difficulty? And the some reality, oh, there's two things that are true about that. One, it's knowing our own need for Christ, as we talked about. But also there's a long life of following Jesus that helps in those moments of difficulty. I think about when uh, Caroline and I first started dating. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Southeast Tennessee. We were just there a couple weeks ago and uh, we were driving around with our kids and we were reminded of, reminded of our early dating days and how there was literally nothing to do. We would just drive around and be like, what do you wanna do? Well, we could, we could go bowling. We could uh, walk around the store. Like, I mean, that was it. There was nothing to do. There was nowhere to go, nothing fun to do. And Caroline would show up early on. She said, do you mind if I bring some questions? And I was like, sure, that's fine. So she would come with these sticky notes and she would pull them off and she would say, all right, I have a question. Uh, do you do crunchy or creamy peanut butter? And I would say, I do creamy. And she would say, she does crunchy, but we buy creamy now. So uh, that's how that went on the long run. But, uh, but there were all these little small questions that were just fun. Like where, what types of things do you like to do? What types of uh, books do you like to read? Do you read books? There were tons of just little questions that, that she would ask. But over time, we don't talk about anymore if we like crunchy or creamy peanut butter. Like it's not a discussion that we talk about. We don't, we don't talk totally about what types of food we like because we know each other. We know what types of food we like and what we don't like. We know uh, where we like to go, the fun things we like to do together, the things we like to take our kids to do. Uh, we know all those kinds of things, the types of shows we like, movies we like, because over a period of time, those questions and those topics became not as in-depth for us. Now we talk about 
difficulties and hardships of life, joys of friendships and relationships. And, and what do you do at, she's a teacher at school when this happens. What do you do? What do we do in our families? Like, how do we operate? How do we live as a married couple? Like, those are the things that we talk about. We talk about how God is changing us and what we've read in his word. Those are the things that we talk about. So when suffering and difficulty comes in our relationship, uh, we have a longer history of depth that we can go, okay, this person, I hurt Caroline. I said something hurtful and mean and unnecessary out of my own sin. And Caroline hopefully can go, but I know that I can trust Andrew. He needs to repent. He needs to follow Christ. He needs to apologize. But we have a history of more than just crunchy or creamy peanut butter conversations that are real and that are in depth. I'll give you, I'll give you one more illustration I think helps with this a little bit. Travis isn't here, so I'm sure you guys have missed your uh, fill of sports references. So I'll throw one out for you real quick. Uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big Braves fan, Atlanta Braves uh, baseball. And two years ago, they won the World Series. And I was very excited about that. Oakley was uh, five years old at the time when that happened. And uh, we let him stay up and watch the end of the game, which wasn't super late because we're on the West Coast, but it was late for him. And he was so excited that they won that he jumped on the couch. Now, to be honest, I think he was more excited that we let him jump on the couch than actually them winning. But just the other day, he said, hey, do you remember when the, we were talking about the Braves are coming to play the Dodgers in a few weeks or thinking about going to a game? Like, you remember when the Braves won? Oh yeah, and I jumped on the couch. And he was so excited just talking about it. There are things in our life, celebrations that happen, joy that happens, that we're able to look back on together and say, do you remember when this happened? That's in some ways what David has done in this. But it's not just knowing the things, it's actually knowing what Jesus has taught and what he has said. He says, in, uh, Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 32, he said to those who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The greatest truth that can keep us grounded to Christ in difficult times, that can help us praise God when things are hard and to look past our moment of difficulty and not deny its reality or its impact or, or, that, it's, or that it's causing us pain and, and heartache, but is to know the truth of who Jesus is. Because he says that truth will set us free. So that's why whenever we go through um, challenging moments, we can still praise God and we can trust him uh, because of that. Our thankfulness uh, is not really based on our own circumstances. It's based on Christ and what he has done. In verse 12 and 13, he says, I give thanks to you, my God. And he goes on in 13 and says, because your steadfast love towards me. As I think about a few years ago, we went through a really difficult time in our life where we had to like figure out wh who we were and what we were about as, a, as individuals and as a family and, and so many things about four or five years ago. We had to kind of like think through this and work through this in a unique way. One of the things that we always had to remember, and it was challenging to remember, and a lot of times we failed at it, was to continue to thank God for who he was, regardless of what happened to us and what was happening to us, because of his great love. His great love was worthy of praise, even still, it was difficult. David says overall in this section about praise, three main things. He says that there is no one like God. He says that all nations will worship him. He says that God is great and does wonderful things and only God is God. He says that God is great because of his steadfast love and because he delivered us. So this is God. This is the God who reaches us when we're poor and needy, the God worthy of praise, the God that we can worship in all times. But if you're anything like me, that can sound like really nice and like a good idea, but life is hard. 
there are unexpected things that hit us that we, no matter how much we plan for and how much we think through, it does not matter. I think about going through our premarital counseling. They tried to prepare us for so many things and, and they did a good job, I would suppose, but you're not ready. Like at the end of the day, you're not ready. Think about having our first kids. So many people gave us so much good advice and so many great ideas and books to read and stuff, but you're just not ready until you get there. You don't know what you don't know until it happens to you. So David shifts after praying for salvation, after praising God. The question becomes, when there is suffering that happens, we've already talked about our own need, but when it comes from outside of us, what do we do? Like, how do we interact when problems come from outside of us? So David, in the last section of this Psalm, he talks about a prayer for protection, verses 14 through 17. Here's what he says. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. They do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me and give your strength to your servant and save your son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor and to those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you, the Lord, have helped me and confronted me. One thing that we know as followers of Jesus is that uh, just because you follow Christ doesn't mean that life is easy. It means that there are still difficulties in life. David uh, in, in, in the Bible is referred to as a man after God's own heart. There are no perfect people in the Bible, obviously. Jesus is the only perfect person that we have. Uh, but David is one that for some reason God teaches about, the Bible teaches about was someone who is after God's own heart. He truly sought the Lord. We talked about earlier all the, the junk that David dealt with, all the problems that he caused in his own life, things that people did to him. And here he says, looking back at his life, insolent evil men have risen up against me. People who have problems against me verse 14, they have come against me. There's no guarantee just because we go after God's own heart that we will have an easy life. But there is a guarantee that God is gracious and that he is slow to anger and that he is abounding in steadfast love. Our difficulties in life are not separated from a loving, caring, gracious, and kind um, God. It's not something that is devoid of those things. Verse 16, uh, David again makes this plea to be gracious. He said that multiple times, be gracious, be gracious, be gracious. Uh, but this time it's a little bit different than before. The first one we saw in verse three had to do with his own self. So David's already recognized that. He said, I am poor and needy. I need you to be gracious. This has to do with problems from the outside. What do I do when things are going wrong? What do I do? And this, in verse 17, uh, an interesting thing that David says, he says this, he says, shame others because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Now, as I, as I read through this and as I look at God's word, it's interesting to think about the idea that David is saying, be gracious to me because of my needs, be gracious to me because of other people. And actually those that are outside, um, I would like for you to shame them because uh, I don't, shame's not the best thing for me. Like I don't respond well to shame. I don't like shame. Uh, it's not good. And I don't, in my own mind, as I just read this for an off the face, quick reading, go, should we shame those that come against us? And that's not exactly what uh, the passage is saying here as, as just a quick one. What David is saying is he's saying, I want them to know how great you are because you have helped me and because you have comforted me. That's what I want these people, these problems, these things that are coming along to do. So when we face suffering in our life that comes from outside of us, our response and our prayer should be, God, save me, protect me, be gracious. I don't wanna deal with this, God, whatever. And whatever people or person or things that are dealing with it, will you, as you're gracious to me, show them the greatness of who you are? Will you point them 
to know you. Romans um, 12, 14 through 21 helps me a lot with this. And it really drives how I think through a lot of things that I deal with in my life. Um, so the book of Romans deals with a lot of things about uh, the depths of who we are and how we need God. And the back half talks a lot about how we should live. And uh, in Romans 12 through 14, it says this. It says, bless those who persecute you. You bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil evil for evil, but give thought and do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this is, this is the key part for me. And it says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Brother, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with the spirit. It says, if possible, so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As we deal with things that come against us and as we've been thankful for God's salvation, as we praise him, as we pray for protection, and as we interact with problems around our world, looking and going, as much as it is dependent upon me, I will live peaceably with all. We'll push others to know Christ. As we feel squeezed and as we feel difficulty in our life, our prayer for protection should not only be that God will give us protection, but that ultimately it will be for God's glory and the for salvation of others that are around us. I think about uh, in this moment, churches where it's not safe to worship. Like we have a great privilege where we can just show up and worship the Lord every week and we can drop off our kids in a safe space and we can, we can do so much together. We can just talk and we can sing and we don't have to worry about how loud we sing and if people hear us or anything like that. But there are places in the world where that's not true, where you come in secret, where you sing softly and very quietly so people don't hear you, where, where you're smart about how you use your language around. We can say Jesus, we can say God, we can say Bible. There's places you have to think through that. Like, how am I going to do this in certain context? Even in those places, many of those people that I've interacted with who have lived there or have visited in those places, they'll talk about how they want to pray for those who are persecuted. Several years ago, um, I worked at a church in Tennessee and we did a youth camp and our theme was all about uh, missions and reaching people. And we had a time that we prayed for the persecuted church around the world. And one of the other people who organized uh, the camp, his job was to reach out to some people and say, uh, hey, well, you, uh, you're, you're serving these areas. What are prayers that you would have as a persecuted church? He, he had some missionary friends. And so we, we gathered those together. And as we prayed, uh, he talked about and he shared with the high schoolers and junior hires, hey, this is what these people want you to pray for. And one of the biggest things that they prayed for was for their persecutors and those that seek them out and the people they don't even realize who are looking for them to come to know Christ. That was his prayer. It wasn't as much, will you just protect us and keep us totally safe? They definitely wanted those things, but their main, main prayer was that others will know Christ. So who is God? He is gracious, he is merciful, and he is bounding in steadfast love, and he's slow to anger, even for those who come against us in times that we need protection. A life transformed by the goodness of Jesus will focus on who he is when life spits us up, when it chews us up and spits us out. We will see his goodness and we will look for that. So God and God alone can provide what we truly need in times of suffering. And God knows better than we do what we need. This Psalm shows us that, that David, as he prays through these different ideas of salvation, of praise and of protection, 
that he can trust who God is and that God is greater than he is. So as we kind of wrap up today and as we head um, uh, to a time of kind of a response, I want you to think through kind of these three areas, um, salvation, praise, and protection. So maybe this for you is the first time that you've ever thought about how God relates to me. Like, what do I do with God? And that may be something as we, as we sing here in a few moments and as we, as we pray together that you need to think through is how do you relate to God? Um, some of you all, like myself, you may have known God for some time and you've been walking with him, um, but something is currently happening in your life that's just really difficult and it's really hard and you don't really know what to do or where to go. And I'll encourage you through this, this passage and, and, and who God is as a whole that, that, that he hears us. David talks about that, God, you hear me. Some of us need to praise or remember God for who he is. Maybe we've come through a recent time of salvation, whether it's our personal salvation or, or a moment, and we just need to take this opportunity to pray and be thankful to God and for leading us to know him more. We need to be thankful that maybe we need to pray and praise through knowing God's truth more. And many of us, and some of you may say, there is, a, there is problems right now going on, and I just need protection from the Lord, from those that would seek to hurt me, my family, to harm me, difficult situations and that we need to pray for those um, to come to know Christ because of that. So I'm gonna close this in prayer and then we'll respond uh, in a few different ways. Um, Lord, we thank you for who you are, God. God, we thank you that you have uh, saved us from the depths of who we are, that we can trust you in all things. Um, Lord, I pray as we, uh, as we think about your word and we think about David's story and David's prayer of, of needing and, and knowing the depth of his need, but the greatness of your love. God, I pray that'll be true for us. As we think about the greatness of who you are and what you have done, um, God, I pray that we'll remember those things. As we think about the difficulties we face, God, we pray that you'll protect us, but that you will draw others near and far to know you because your works are great. That even in the midst of our suffering and our challenges and the hard moments of life, that you are there for us. Um, Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.